The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Good morning, everyone. If you're visiting today, I want you to let you know that I'm not Tab. Um, Tab is our lead pastor, and uh, he's speaking at Providence Church this morning in National City. He's helping out a good friend, Brian Hendry, who's getting a well-deserved rest. So uh, instead of Tab, you get me, and the difference between the two of us is he's a little shorter, much more handsome, and a much better singer. So... (laughs) Yeah, he's going to listen to this later, and I just wanted him to hear that, so um, (laughs) that's good. My name is Rick. I am one of the elders here and one of the pastors, and I have the privilege of bringing God's Word to you. So today, we're um, we're going to continue our series in Exodus. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, please turn to Exodus 13, verse 17. Exodus 13, verse 17. And while you're doing that, I'll just give you a little introduction. Uh, If you remember what Tab told us last week, Pharaoh demanded that the Israelites leave after God punished Egypt with 10 plagues. So they left the city of Ramses and traveled to the town of Succoth. And there God instituted rituals for the people to regularly remember that they were rescued by God's power and God's power alone. And he does this because he knows that the journey is going to get hard. And today, today is going to be one of those hard days. It's going to be probably the hardest days of their lives. So let's pray, and then um, Nick will come and read the passage to us. Living God, help us to hear your holy word, that we may truly understand, and that in understanding we may believe. And believing, we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Nick? Let us hear uh, the word of God uh, as read from Exodus chapter 13, starting with verse 17 and concluding in chapter 14, verse 14. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back. 
and encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. Excuse me. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, hey, kids, really, really glad you're here today. Really glad you're here today. Because, um, you know, the first part of this, I just wanted to talk to you. I have a question for you, kids. When you go to bed at night, you sometimes get scared. Yeah, you, you, you hear something, and you call for your parents to come and check it out, right? Well, when I was a kid, and I heard a really scary noise, sometimes my mom would come into my room, and I would say, no, 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 no. I need dad. Because <laughs> when I was five, my dad was the strongest man in the world. And if there was a monster in my room, I knew my dad could chase him away. Well, today, we're seeing the Israelites. They need a strong father. They need a strong dad to chase away some very scary people. Now, God told us earlier in Exodus that he was adopting the Israelites as his children. He is their father. And they are his people. They belong to him. So, they know he cares. Caring, though, isn't enough, is it? Just caring isn't enough. 
Our dad needs to be strong. So last week, God reminded us and he reminded them of what he's already done, the 10 plagues. Beating Pharaoh so badly, beating him down so badly that he actually demanded that the Israelites leave town. And in chapter 13 last week, God, their father, it says that he brought them out with a strong hand. Now, so now they know that God cares enough to protect them, right? And that he's strong enough to protect them. But kids, what else do you need to know? What else do you need to know when those noises happen? You need to know that he's home. You need to know that he's present and that he's ready to fight for you. And as we pick up the story, we find that God is leading the Israelites to the promised land. And it's going to get hard. Today, they're probably going to face the scariest thing that's ever happened in their lives. We're going to look at this story in three movements. And each of them is going to follow the works of the Lord. Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh is present and he is ready to fight for them. So first, let's look at God's guiding presence. God's guiding presence is leading them out of Egypt. So please follow me in verse 21, and we'll see God's guiding presence. And the Lord, Yahweh, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Wow. Don't you wish you had a cloud? A cloud to answer all the questions of life. Like, it's like having an all-knowing Alexa, right? An all-knowing and all-seeing Alexa. Yahweh in the cloud. Hey, Yahweh, who should I marry? Hey, Yahweh, should I take that job? Wouldn't that be great to have a personal presence of God like that? to give us all the answers? Well, it wasn't quite like that. See, God wasn't providing them with an ancient Alexa. And he wasn't answering all their questions. God was present. God was present in guiding the people for a specific purpose. He was guiding them to the promised land. But they could see God's guiding presence in a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So you might ask, why doesn't God do that now? Why doesn't God provide the kind of constant presence, that kind of constant presence, to guide us in our lives today? Well, he does. I mean, first he's given us the Bible, right? The Bible to guide us. But he also has given us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to reside in the heart of every Christian. He guides us, gives us spiritual gifts, and helps us to understand the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit, well, he lives within us as much as among us. And in a community of believers, the Holy Spirit's help 
the Holy Spirit will help us encourage one another and comfort one another. This is even better than a cloud or fire. God's presence and guidance are constants in our lives as Christians. So then, that's true. Why, why did God provide us a physical presence to the Israelites? And the short answer is they needed it. They didn't have the Bible. They only had a few stories that were passed down through their ancestors. It might also, might also be important to remember that until recent months, this, this generation had no interaction with God directly. God's relationship with these people was relatively new. So God wanted to assure them of his constant presence. And this guiding presence, this guiding presence was personal. It was tender and compassionate. Jeremiah 31 describes it like this. He said, God took them by the hand to bring them into the land of Egypt, bring them out of the land of Egypt. Like a father leading a small child through a parking lot. I'd sometimes take my grandsons to In-N-Out Burger in El Cajon. Have you ever been there? That's, the parking lot's chaotic, right? You, you, and, you, and I tell them, you hold onto my hand now, and you just walk with me, and we guide I guide them through into the restaurant because there is danger all around. And a child needs the guiding presence of a loving father to make it through safely. He took them by the hand because there were enemies all around them. And he took them by the hand because he didn't want them to be afraid. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, though that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. See, the most direct way to the promised land was on a road called the Via Maris. God's people should have headed straight north to the Mediterranean Sea, turn right, you get to the promised land in about two weeks. That road, that road had a series of Egyptian fortresses on it. And then at the end of the road was the Philistines. And the Israelites would have had to fight their way out. So knowing this, God took them by the hand and he had compassion on them. Verse 18 says they went out equipped for battle, but none of them were really trained to fight, and their equipment was primitive. This probably looked more like a Boy Scout troop pretending to be an army than a real army. God knows they aren't ready to fight. In fact, in several months, they're, go they're going to uh, prepare to fight for the promised land, and they're going to look out and see the enemy in the land that they're going to need to fight, and it's going to scare them. And they would say, 
when that happens, and I quote here from Numbers 14, let's choose another leader and go back to Egypt. (laughs) That's what they said. They weren't ready to fight. So God, instead of taking them that way, he takes them in a different way. God has a plan, but this plan, it's a little confusing. God's plan is confusing to anyone who knows the way to Canaan. So please follow me, chapter 14, verse 1, and let's see God's confusing plan. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihaharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Balzaphon, and you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Problem is, this is the wrong way. This is the wrong way to Canaan. See, there's an arm of the Red Sea called the Gulf of Suez today, and you have to go north of the Gulf of Suez to get to the Sinai Peninsula and then to the promised land in Canaan. And Moses knows that. Midian's on the other side. Remember, he lived half his life in Midian. He's been there. He knows the way. He traveled this many times. Yet here, God is telling him to go south on the wrong side of the Red Sea and camp where there's nowhere to go. Like if you left today and you want to go to you want to go to Oceanside and you and you said, hey Google, Google, Google Maps, show me the way to Oceanside. And it takes you east and takes you over the Coronado Bridge onto the island, and you come to the end and there's water, and it says, park here. It's like that. There's no way to get there from here. It's also a terrible place if you're a military. This is a terrible place to camp if an army is coming after you. It makes no sense. So God explains it to Moses. He explains to Moses why he brought them there. Now listen to this. This is God's explanation. Verse three, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So if I'm Moses, and I hear the explanation of this plan, I'm not taking this real well, right? I mean, God, are you serious? Are you serious? You brought us here so Pharaoh can find us? Really? God, do you remember what happened last time you hardened Pharaoh's heart? He punished the people, and they all got really, really angry with me. Moses must have questions here, right? Must have questions. What does it mean that God gets the glory over Pharaoh? 
Does God get glory by seeing his people annihilated? Why has God brought us here? This seems so wrong. It seems so confusing. And do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel that way in life? Where things just seem so wrong. They seem so confusing. Bad things happen. There's suffering that seemingly just doesn't have a purpose. There are situations where decisions are hard. It seems like God just just doesn't have a plan. How how do you feel when, when a child rebels or a child is caught in addiction and your spouse gets sick or you get sick, the diagnosis is bad? when you experience injustice, or when we just experience chronic pain day by day, day by day without relief. What is God doing in that? See, we're all, we're all on a journey to the promised land. And the promised land for the Israelites was Canaan. The promised land for us is just as real Hebrews eleven sixteen tells us of those in faith that we seek a better country, a heavenly one that God has prepared for us. Our hearts long for that. 1 Peter 1 tells us of that better country, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Yes. We are on a journey. We are on a journey to a better place. But in the same verse, Peter also tells us, now, now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So he tells us to expect that. On our journey, we should expect that. Like the Israelites, we will face trials and sometimes confusing. Sometimes we really don't know what God's specific purpose is for the things that he's brought into our lives. And we may never understand. We may never understand exactly what God is doing. But by faith, Scripture tells us of God's compassion for us. And he tells us that many times he uses these things to refine and to strengthen our faith in him. Still, like, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do when God's plan looks so confusing to us? What are we supposed to do when we can't figure out what he's doing? Well, what did the Israelites do? The text tells us in verse 4, they heard all this and they did so. The Israelites heard the plan. The plan to go the wrong way. And they did it. 
You have to admire them for that. In faith, they kept walking to where God was leading them. They just kept walking. You know what happened next? Well, Pharaoh regrets his decision to let them go. Big surprise. See, nothing's getting done in Egypt. No one is cleaning or cooking or working on the farms, and all the construction projects have stopped. The impact of the slaves leaving, it's now become real to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh wants them back. Verse 9, the Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them, encamped by the sea, by Pi-Haharoth, in front of Balzaphon. Pharaoh's coming. He's coming to get them. And the Israelites in the camp, you see this, you see this dust cloud off in the distance. And soon, they start recognizing horses and chariots and the helmets of the Egyptian army, Pharaoh is coming for them. Verse 10, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And behold, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, feared greatly. Technically, the Hebrew word here is pronounced like this. Ah! <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. They were terrified. They were terrified. Verse 11, they said to Moses, is this because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt. Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What is wrong with these people? Seriously, what is wrong with them? In the past six months, they saw God beat down Pharaoh. He beat him down to the point where Pharaoh demanded that they leave before it got worse. 10 plagues, 10 plagues ending with the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And then the Lord Yahweh himself personally guided them through the desert using this miraculous pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. You can see him. And yet, their full attention is right here on this army. You read this, and you just want to shout at them, turn around! Turn around and look behind you! Your God is there! The same one that beat down Pharaoh only a few weeks ago. 
Your God will fight for you. God will fight for you. But they can't. Can't look away. See, their whole lives, their whole lives, they'd lived, exploited as slaves. They're beaten, killed for the smallest offenses, severely abused when they first talked about leaving. Pharaohs had their babies drowned in the Nile. And you know why? Simply because he thought there were too many of them. That is one brutal, vindictive master, and he is coming after them now. So, so to some extent, you kind of understand how they were feeling. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots, the most powerful army in the world at the time, it was all right there, and it was all coming after them. And the Israelites, they're really unarmed. Maybe a few of them looked around for a rock. Maybe they picked up a rock they might want to throw. But that's about all they've got. Pharaoh was big in their minds. And even after, even after the Lord showed them that he was bigger, Pharaoh still had this grip on their hearts. Let me ask you, what has a grip on your heart? What seems so big in your life that makes you feel overwhelmed? Have you done something that is so bad that you think that God can't forgive you? This story here, this story comes to tell you that your God is bigger than that. Are you stuck in an addiction and can't seem to find your way free? God is bigger than that too. Are you afraid of the future or anxious to live your life with joy? God is bigger than what makes you anxious or afraid. You see, I think part of the problem we have as Christians is that we started this journey understanding that we have an awesome God, an awesome God of power and grace. We came to God understanding that we were entirely helpless in our sin and that only the power of Christ in his death and his resurrection could save us. We put our faith in a big God who is the only one able to save us. And then, day by day, we forget, don't we? See, growing as a Christian involves sanctification and learning about God. Both of these things are good. Every Christian should seek knowledge about God 
and seek to obey him. Why? We need to be very careful that our knowledge and our better behavior doesn't breed a self-sufficiency in our life that fools us into diminishing God in our hearts. We struggle. We struggle with sin, addiction, and fear that we can't shake with knowledge or behavior modification. We can't do that. It's kind of like picking up rocks to throw at Pharaoh's army. Instead, looking at our God, who's bigger. We need to be reminded that we have a big God, a big God who cares for us, who is present, and a God who fights for us. We need to be reminded. And that's what Moses did. That's what Moses said to the people. Verse 13, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For this Egyptian army you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Stop talking. Stop obsessing about the Egyptians. Turn around and look at your God. He's right here. And he will fight for you. These Egyptians you see today, those who have exploited you, those who hurt you, those who abused you, you shall never see them again. See, God brought them to this place for a purpose. For the, past few week, for the past few weeks, they had been physically free from the Egyptians, but in their hearts and minds, they were still slaves to Pharaoh and to Egypt. Pharaoh is still bigger in their heart than the Lord Yahweh. But that ends today. That ends now. Great story for the Israelites. And some of you might know the ending. I'm not going to spoil it. Come back next week. You'll get the ending on that. But so what? So what? What about me? How does God fight for me today? You know, the lessons of this story can be very powerful and life-changing for a Christian. There are times in our life when we see absolutely no way, no way around a problem. And what does your heart tell you when you feel cornered? When you see no way out? Maybe no way out of financial stress or relationship conflict 
In those situations, do we tend to respond in panic? Maybe a panic or a fear or just helplessness. And I think, I think maybe those emotions of panic, fear, or hopelessness, they come because we feel alone. And we feel abandoned. We feel like God is not present or that he's not the tender father we've been told he is. The one who leads us by our hand on our journey. Or maybe in our hearts, we have become so self-reliant that we just don't think he's big enough anymore. So when our hearts panic, what, what do we tend to do? I know what I do. Take control. Take control. I see no way out, but I'm taking control in a really bad way. <laughs> Sometimes don't we, when we do that, don't we create even more conflict? Unnecessary conflict with others? Do we escalate a conflict and make the situation even worse? When there seems like there's no way out, what if instead we believe the words about Jesus? Colossians 2.15, speaking of Jesus, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He has already triumphed over the evil among us. What if we took to heart the words of Paul, Ephesians 6? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He says, be strong in the Lord in the strength of whose might? His might, not ours. Put on our armor? No, put on the armor of God. What if we tried, what if we stopped trying to be so self-sufficient and we come to see God as he is, to rely upon him like we did when he first saved us? What if we took our eyes off the problem, the things that scared us so much, and we turn around and look at our God? What if we took the advice of Moses? Fear not. Be quiet. Stand firm in faith because God will fight for you. Now, it, it doesn't solve all the problems. But if God has his proper place in our heart and we see him as big enough, does it give us more peace? Even in the situations where we can't see a way out. The Israelites, they saw no way out. They could never imagine the path that God would create for them. 
Now, facing death. Theirs? Ours? Or the death of a loved one? That's the ultimate no-win situation. There's no way out, no way out situation. We can't change or control death. Death comes for us all eventually. But your God, God fights for you. And the good news is that he's already won. Jesus' death on the cross, well, that was probably the most confusing and unexpected plan of all time. Certainly confused his disciples. However, through his death and resurrection, he has triumphed over our greatest enemies, sin and death. And in our journeys, that makes our destination sure. On the journey to our promised land, because God fights for us, we know that our journey ends in a glorious place, a place of eternal joy and everlasting peace. Let's pray. And as we begin to pray, I'd like to invite the band to come back up and the servers to please come prepared to service the elements. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are so grateful for your power, your mercy, and your grace to us. It is by the wounds of your son that we are redeemed and set free. We are grateful that you fight for us. Even more that you have triumphed over Satan's sin and death. And as we live in this fallen world, we still endure suffering and pain. And many here may feel burdened, fearful, or discouraged. We ask that your presence and care might be felt and provide comfort. Help us to see you rightly. Help us to see you rightly and daily grow in the reality that you are bigger than, all, than any challenge that we might face. For anyone who has not yet put their trust in Jesus for salvation, we ask that you draw them to yourself today. There is nothing that they have done, nothing that is so bad that you not, cannot forgive and heal. We ask that you prompt repentance from all of us today because, Lord, we desperately need you and need the forgiveness that you offer. Gracious Father, we have the opportunity this morning to take these elements today, and we thank you for the glorious picture of how great a love that Jesus, our Savior, loved us and gave himself up for his people. You positioned us before you as holy without blemish. Help us now to give thanks, believing this good news, as we take the bread and the cup together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.